And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. Is there a skip in your step this morning? Are you excited? Because I am. You know what's right around the corner on the calendar. That's right. Thanksgiving. How many of you like Thanksgiving? Not me. I do not like Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. No, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear that. I love Thanksgiving. I mean, that's like one of my favorite holidays. Oh man, Thanksgiving is phenomenal. I'm so excited. Are you excited? Are you pumped up? I'm excited. You know, in fact, you know, Thanksgiving is just wonderful. I mean, the food, the fellowship, the fun, the nap. Uh, yeah, that's part of the Thanksgiving Day tradition. And so last year we finished up the food and we were um, just finished everything up. We had some dessert, you know, the pumpkin pie. Ooh, doesn't that sound good already? My goodness, the pumpkin pie, the whipped cream. I mean, exciting Thanksgiving stuff. Exciting stuff. And then the tradition at my house is the parents, when I was a kid, my parents would go to sleep and uh, we would watch the dog show while they were taking a nap. You know, that's part of the tradition. But I remember we got home and uh, my wife was going through the Black Friday ads. My girls, two little girls, two little babies laid down for a nap. And so I sat in my recliner and I I flipped up the, the, what do you call that thing that holds up your legs? I flipped up the leg holder and uh, I, I leaned back. And now I realized why my father took a nap every year. And uh, boy, that was nice. That was enjoyable. And so looking forward to that as well. That's going to be exciting. But Thanksgiving, I hope you're excited for Thanksgiving. Now, speaking of Thanksgiving and our topic, put the two together. Um, This morning, we're continuing our mini-series on the truth about music. The truth about music. And you know, around the Thanksgiving period, we talk about... Uh, you know, how, how Thanksgiving came about, you know, pilgrims and all that stuff. You know what kind of music pilgrims like? You know what kind of music pilgrims like? They like Plymouth Rock. That's a terrible joke. A terrible joke. And But anyway, it's Thanksgiving has to do with music. And so, no, we do not here at Sandy Creek Stirrings condone rock music in any shape or form. And if you think we do, you missed last week. And so let me encourage you, go back and listen to this week. Maybe this one's a little bit better. If April showers bring Mayflowers, what do Mayflowers bring? That's right. They bring pilgrims. They bring pilgrims. And so... There you go. There you go. And uh, so some Thanksgiving jokes, dumb Thanksgiving jokes to open the uh open the podcast this morning, but I guess you've learned to um you've you've learned that I'll sometimes tell a bad joke in like it was a dumb joke, not like bad jokes, like morally bad. I think you get what I'm saying. Anyway, so this morning we continue with the truth about music. The truth about music. And so I am excited about this topic and the series we're going through. I really think it can help you as we talked about music as a big part, a big part of life in general. Christian, non-Christian, worldly, godly, it really doesn't matter. Music is a big part of life. We talked about last week the average person 
listens to about four hours a week. I think it was four and a half, actually. Four and a half hours of, uh, of music a day, I'm sorry. Not a week, a day. And that's the average. There are people who listen to way more than that. There's people who listen to less than that. But knowing the statistics and knowing the facts, music is a big part of people's lives. It's huge. Huge. And so last week we talked about, and I'm not going to review, I, I, I tend to not do a huge review because you have the opportunity as a listener to go back and listen to that previous episode. And so I don't do a lot of reviews here necessarily. I may give you just a touch. But in general, if you missed last week, it is a building stone for this, and so I encourage you, if this is the episode you found, go ahead and go back and listen to that first episode, and it'll help you as we go into the second part of The Truth About Music. But last week, just for barely a review, we talked about, is music morally neutral? And we answered that question, and we talked about the three basic components of music being lyrics, the words of the song. We talked about the author and artist, the uh, people of the song. And then third, we talked about musical composition, which is the note, the beat, the rhythm, the timing, the melody, um, all those things that we talked about last week. And when we talked about that question, or we asked that question, rather, is music morally neutral? We um, started off by looking at, it. do lyrics, do lyrics, do the words of the song, are they morally neutral? Are they either good or bad? And yes, um, lyrics have a moral value. We talked about last week, do the author and the artist. Yeah, the author and the artist, the people of the song, are either good people or they're bad people. They can't be, like, neutral. Um, and then we asked the question, though, really surrounding is musical composition, the notes, the beat, the rhythm, the timing, does that have an intrinsic moral value? And if you don't know the answer to that, go back and listen to last week because it does. Because music in every part, it does have a moral value. It is either good or bad. It is either wicked or godly. It is either worldly, fleshly, carnal, or it's spirit-filled. All right, so yes, music is not morally neutral. It does have a moral value. And so that leads into our topic for today. Then if music is either good or bad, what is the standards? What are the things that we should judge our music by to determine whether or not we should listen to that music? If it's either good or bad, how do we judge our music to know if it's something we should listen to. And so let me open with this. Music. Music is not an optional part of the Christian life. If you're a Christian, music is not optional. Okay, music, according to the Bible, is a requirement and a necessity. When you go back and look at the Bible, you cannot biblically follow God without music in your life. You cannot biblically follow God without singing privately and publicly for him. And you say, I have to sing a special. I'm not necessarily saying that. But God does make mention many times, and we're about to quote some scripture, on the Bible singing privately in your own life and singing publicly for his praise. What stops people? What stops people from singing during the congregationals and things like that is not typically that they don't know the song. Because typically by the third or fourth verse, they'll, they'll have enough of the tune to begin singing. What stops the chronic um, non-congregational singers, the people in church who never sing, they never will, they never have, they never will, they're the chronic congregational non-singers, that's what I'll call them here on Sandy Creek Stirrings. What stops them from singing isn't that they don't know the song, especially if they've been in church for a while. It's not that they don't know the song typically. Typically it's pride. They care too much about themselves, they 
don't like or dislike their voice or whatever. And I said that in a typical sense. Typically, pride is what stops, hey, pride is what stops a lot of young men from singing congregationals because it's not cool. It's not cool to sing congregationals. That's not the cool thing to do. Um, here's the thing. Proper music causes you to get over yourself, get over your pride. It reminds you of God and his goodness. And a lot of people, um, especially young men, I'm sure there's some young ladies. I see it more in men than I do young ladies. I'm just throwing that out there. But typically, if they're chronic congregational non-singers, typically it's pride that's stopping them from singing. First Chronicles 16.23 says, Sing unto the Lord. Does that sound like a recommendation or a command? That sounds like a command. And in fact, it says, show forth from day to day. Psalm 9.11 says, sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people, among the people, among the people, his doings. Psalm 92.1 says, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Psalm 95.1 says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And Psalm 105, verse 2 says, Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. And then Psalm 147, 7 says, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise upon the harp unto our God. And so, yes, music is a part and should be a part and is a requirement of the part of a Christian's life. It is a necessity. It has to be there for a Christian. And if you think those are the only passages that we can pull out concerning music in the life of a Christian, then let me tell you, you're way off. You've missed the boat because uh, there are so many more scriptures on that. So let's dive in. Now that we know music is a necessity, you have to have it in your life. Um, and you do. You do. Um, so how do we judge our music? How do we judge our music? I want to give you a few points just for you to make note of if you if you want to take notes, you're more than welcome to take notes. But in general, I try, and I, in the beginning of the podcast, I would often say, you know, take some notes. Um, but here's what I want. I want Sandy Creek Stirrings not to so much be preaching. There'll be episodes where it'll be more like preaching per se. Um, but in general, I want it to be a conversation between you and I. And uh, typically, if we're just sitting down having coffee and having a conversation, you're not taking notes. And unless we're having a business meeting. But then again, sometimes it wouldn't hurt to take notes. And so, no, I'm not appalled in any way, shape, or form. If you want to take notes, that's great. That's probably even a better thing is to take notes. But I'm going to give you a bunch of different things this morning, um, or if you listen this evening or whenever. Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of different things. You're probably not going to remember them all. If you don't take notes, you can always come back and listen, or maybe you have a great memory. I don't have that luxury, so I would have to write all these down. But these are the standards we should judge our music by. That way, when we go to our playlist, we go to a CD we have. We go to our music selection. Um, how do we judge it? How do we judge it? We walk away from this, and you should know how to biblically judge your music, all right? So number one, our music, according to the Bible, should be different from the world. It should be different from the world. You will find that running theme throughout the New Testament that, and throughout the Old Testament, for that fact, that the people of God were different. They were separated from the world. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says, 
and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. Don't be like this world. Be transformed. Be completely different. In fact, Psalm or Psalm Titus two fourteen. Titus two fourteen says, "Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people." Did you know God wants you to be peculiar? That's right. God wants you to be peculiar. In fact, Paul says, he says, Come out from among them and be ye separate. So our music should be different from the world. It should be different. That means it should be different in lyrics. It should be different in the author and artist. It should be different in its musical composition. And a lot of times, you can determine the musical composition of a song just by the genre that that music fits in. Uh, country music, it typically has a, a certain type of beat. Now, you know, songs will use different types of beat, but in general, country songs will follow the same beat. They'll all generally have around, around, typically, I'm using general statements here, they'll have around the same type of rhythm. All right? A lot of, so you, you get what I'm saying. It should be different from the world. If the world is like, hey, that's a great song. I love that song. Then you probably missed it. You probably missed it. I used to have a coworker at the hardware store and uh, she and she and her husband would often go to wild adventures. And she said, we love going dur- during Christian week. I guess I don't I don't know for sure. I guess they have some sort of Christian weekend. She said they have in all these Christian bands. And she's like, we like it anyway because it's just like what we normally listen to. And this lady was not a Christian. She was not saved. That that doesn't that's not the way our music should be. Our music should be different from the world. Number two, our music should be different than before we were saved. Now, as you got saved, all right, and I don't know what age you got saved at. Let's say you got saved at 18 for my father. I'm going to use him as an example. Um, He got saved at the age 18. Um, Did not grow up in a Christian home. Grew up in a Catholic home. Um, They were like priesters. They went on Christmas and Easter, I believe, if even that. Um, You want to know what that term was, right? You wanted me to repeat that? Priesters? Christmas and Easter, Christers. And uh, anyway, so there's a great new term for you. And another term you can use is the people who only come to church on Sunday morning, they're schmoes. Schmoes. And you got S-M-O, Sunday morning only. And so some great theological terms for you today. But my father did not grow up in a Christian home, got saved at 18. He had a lot of music that he listened to. He was a reggae fan. And uh, being from the islands, I guess that's a thing, man. And so he would listen to reggae. And uh, so, but here's the deal. A Christian's music should be different than before we were saved. You say, how do you know that? Is that like true? Is that biblical? Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, and look at this statement, all things are become new. What's the definition of all? I don't know any way to, any better way to define all than all. And I know that's not a definition, but it's all of it. It's not some of it. It's all of it. It's not a few. It's all of it. The Bible says all things become new. That includes your music. So my dad, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I don't even know that people had preached on music yet when he uh, had first gotten saved. But when he started getting faithful to church, 
started getting under the preaching. Uh, he realized his music needed to change, and so it should be different than before we were saved. If you're still comfortable listening to the old um I'm just going to use this term, old garbage music you you used to listen to, if you're still comfortable with that, the, the, the Holy Spirit will be working on your heart. So it should be different than before we're saved. Number three, it should stay away from any form or appearance of evil. It should stay away from any form or appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. If music can either be a good or evil, then we must stay away from the the music that even appears to be evil. If it even appears to be worldly, if it even appears to be something that our flesh enjoys, because if your flesh enjoys it, it is not good. I'll be honest with you this morning. Got up at 5.30. My flesh did not enjoy getting up this morning. Everything was screaming out at me, go back to bed, sleep till 6, set your alarm for 6.15. And um, you know why? Because my flesh does not want to do what's right and get up early and have my devotions and everything before I get my day started. And so if your flesh even appears slightly to enjoy the music, let me tell you something, you've got a problem going there because it needs to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, for me, up to at this point in my life, you know, 24, grew up in a Christian home, we've always listened to the same type of same type of music within my home that I can remember. And so I enjoy that music now, but it's not invoking a, fresh, a, a flesh response. We don't sing, I'll fly away, and I'm doing the boogie dance along beside it, if that's even a thing. Um, I'm not waltzing across the auditorium as we sing Amazing Grace. It's not provoking a fleshly response. I enjoy the music. I enjoy the music that we have here at church and that we listen to within my life. I enjoy it. So I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy your music, but I'm saying if it invokes a fleshly response and you can't help but do a little jig, then it's it's got the appearance of evil, okay? So it should stay away from any former appearance of evil, that which is wrong. Number four, it should be used to glorify God and draw attention to Him as its main purpose. As its main purpose, it should be used to glorify God and to draw attention to Him as its main purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do, and here's that great word again, all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. That includes our music. When we sing, it should be for the glory of God. When we listen to music, when we go to work, when we do whatever you want to do, It should be done for the glory of God and to draw attention to Him as His main purpose. Now, we're not going to go and super deep dive into each of these points. As I said, my goal is to stir up Christians to do something great for the cause of Christ. And so as a Christian, I'm hoping you can take these points and just institute them into your life. Number five, it should be. Our music should be filled with the Spirit and therefore should produce the fruits of the Spirit. Whatever is filled with the Spirit, it will produce the fruits of the Spirit. It will produce the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, And be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So not only should we be filled with the Spirit, but then the Bible is going to continue to tell you how to be filled with the Spirit and what else should be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so one thing that should be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is music. Our music should. And if our music is, it will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 through 23 says, um, say, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Is your music producing peace in your heart? Long-suffering. Gentleness. Is it producing gentleness? Goodness. Faith. Is it producing faith? Meekness. Temperance. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Is your music producing those? Does your music produce those things? Because if it is filled with the Spirit, as your music should be, then it will produce the fruit of the Spirit. So not only should it be different from the world, it should be different than before we were saved. It should stay away from any form or appearance of evil, worldliness, carnality, any of that. Um, It should be used to glorify God, draw attention to Him. It should be filled with the Spirit and therefore producing the fruit of the Spirit. And then here's the next one. It should be within God's set parameters of music. It should be within God's set parameters of music. Ephesians 5.19, and we already read that verse, but I'll read it to you again. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here the God... He gives us the parameters that our music should fit within. Psalms, it means music written to God as an outcry of the heart, literally, the Psalms. And so it's a song, music written to God as an outcry of the heart. That's what David was doing. He was crying out from his heart, writing it down, penning it down, became known as the hymn book of Israel. Hymns, are they're denoting a song of praise addressed to God. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. What a great song. Hymns, they praise God, and then spiritual songs are holy, sanctified of the Spirit, meaning that it revolves around spiritual things. By the way, if it is spiritual, it cannot be carnal. If it is spiritual, it cannot be carnal. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. There is a difference between that which is carnal. There is a divide. There is a fence. There is a wall between that which is carnal and that which is spiritual. All right, so it has to fit within God's parameters of music. Does the music, does the song you're listening to, is it a psalm? Is it a a song of praise addressed to God? And then is it wholly sanctified and of the Spirit. Is it a spiritual song? And then last but not least, number seven, the number of completion. Number seven, it should not have any association with the world or worldly Christians, which will and does create a stumbling block to others. It should not have any association with the world or worldly Christians, which creates a stumbling block for others. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 And verse number 11 says, And have no fellowship. What's that say? And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That includes in music as well. Romans 16, 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. That means if you know a Christian who is teaching false doctrine, who's causing offenses to the gospel, then you should avoid them, and that includes in music as well. In music as well. And so if we should not, through our music, have any association with the world or worldly Christians, which will 
and does and has and has the capability to create a stumbling block before others. And so now here's what we're going to do. We are going to take what we have just learned, all right, the musical standards we have just learned, how standards we should judge our music by, and we are going to go over some practical examples. Isn't this great? It's kind of like a test after the after the lecture. And so let's go over some practical examples, okay? Remember, each part of music, lyrics, the words of the song, um, the author and artist, the people of the song, and the musical composition, the notes, the beat, the rhythm, the timing, the melody, all those things, they are either good or bad. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring up some lyrics. I'm going to ask you, are they good or bad based on the standards we have talked about? I'm going to bring up some author and artist. Are they good or bad based on the standards we just talked about? And then we're going to bring up musical composition. Is it good or bad based on the standards we just talked about? And so I think you'll get it quite easily. I think you'll pass this test. Let's go ahead and jump into it and see what kind of score you get. Now, one thing I want to be very clear when we go into this, all of those standards I gave were clearly from the Bible. None of them were my opinion. I backed each of them up with Bible. And so I want you to use biblical standards to judge this, not your own personal opinion, not even my opinion. And so let's look at some lyrics. How about this? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Would you say that according to the standards of music, is that a spiritual song? I would say it's a spiritual song. Um, when you look at this and you judge the music standards and you take the music standards and you judge these lyrics, what do you find? You'll find that that song, based on the lyrics alone, forget any other part, we'll get to those, but just on the lyrics, is that is the lyrics part of the song okay? Does it check out? Because by the way, when we judge our music, we don't just judge the lyrics and say, okay, because the lyrics are okay, everything else is okay. That's not how we judge our music. We judge each part individually. We judge the lyrics, we judge the author and artist, and we judge the musical composition. If all three of them check out, that music is okay for us to listen to. If one of them is off, sorry, it makes the whole thing bad. So, but as far as a lyrics part, just looking at the words, is this a song that we're okay with? Yes. Once again, clear to say, just based on the lyrics, not talking about the other things. We're just looking at the lyrics in these examples. All right, how about these lyrics here? This old man and me were at the bar and we were having us some beers and sharing I don't cares. And, and then the chorus goes, God is great, beer is good, people are crazy. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think? What do you think? Well, you got an old man and this other guy at a bar. And having some beers and then calling beer good. Well, Christians shouldn't be involved in alcohol. We've already talked about that. And so based on that, are they doing something that's spiritual or doing something that's carnal? They're doing something that's carnal. So what does that make the lyrics? It makes the lyrics bad. That means it doesn't matter if I get up and sing this song with a very conservative pianist. If I sing it, the song is wrong because the lyrics are wrong. All right, here we go. How about this song? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Yeah, those lyrics are okay. Those lyrics are okay. How about the lyrics here? 
There's a happy rhythm, keeps a rockin' and a rollin'. I can feel it movin' when I sing this song. What a joy to feel it movin' on and never stoppin'. Deep within my heart, it keeps a rock, a rollin' and a rockin', rollin' and a rockin', a rockin' and a rollin'. It's a happy rhythm in my soul. And then I guess the do-do-do-do. There's a music ringing deep within my soul. I can feel it bubble. I can feel it roll. Then I get a feeling that I want to shout. Makes me feel so good. I've got to move about. What do you think? What is this? All right, let me put it to you this way. What are these words talking about? Talking about a flesh reaction, aren't they? Makes me feel so good. I've got to move about. I can feel it roll. I can feel it bubble. Um, You know, I can feel it moving when I sing this song. What a joy to feel it moving on and never stopping. Uh, Clearly indicating that it's producing a fleshly response. Clearly indicating that what it's talking about is not something a Christian should want. All right, it's carnal-based, not spiritual-based. So would these lyrics be okay? No, they would not be okay. Just Just in case you're interested, that's not a country song. That's not a pick genre you want. That's actually an old Southern gospel song. How that was ever okay for some Christians, I have no idea how that was ever okay for Christians to listen to based on the lyrics alone. Based on the lyrics alone, no, that song is not right. Let's go over to artists, okay? Just artists. We're putting aside lyrics. We're putting aside musical composition. We're just going to look at an artist or author of music. And so let's just take those standards we have, judge whether or not we should listen to this particular artist, all right? The first one, I'm going to give you some details about his life. I want you to know that he was saved as a young lad at a young age. He grew up serving in church, had a testimony as an honorable businessman. He left his job to follow God's calling. Now, let's say you continue to do your research and everything checked out biblically, all right? Would it be okay to listen to that guy? Yeah, it would be. And by the way, that guy I'm talking about is Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey, he was the song leader for evangelist D.L. Moody. He sang and composed songs like The Lily of the Valley, A Shelter in the Time of Storm, Faith is the Victory, Oh Glorious Victory, That Overcomes the World. That was Ira Sankey. Now, obviously... You'd want to know more than just those facts I gave, but as you did your research and everything checked out, would we say that's okay for us to listen to a song by him? Obviously, we have to judge the other parts, but just looking at the artist, would it be okay? Absolutely. He checks out. How about this? How about this? Are you ready? Their logo for the group is inspired by a Hindu goddess. And some of you are saying, stop right there, I already know, but let's keep going. Their group was known as the, quote, Cocaine and Tequila Tour. Their members were known to be arrested for drunken brawls. Members would brag about their sexual immorality. What would you say? Well, nothing about that is spiritual. They would be the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. And by the way, the facts that I just gave are facts. They're taken from Keith Richards' autobiography, Life, and interviews by bassist Bill Wyman. And so, yeah, those are facts. Those aren't opinions I have. Would it be okay for us to listen to them? Based on that, taking the Bible, well, what should we have? Abstain from all appearance of evil? Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness? Then no, we should not listen to the Rolling Stones. How about this one? How about this one? Ready? Saved at a young age, grew up singing in church, was diagnosed with cancer, lost his left eye, but chose to trust God. Used his loss, by the way, for the work of God, and was responsible for reaching millions of children with the gospel. What would you say? 
Well, based on that, if everything else checked out, I think it would be okay. His name is Ron Hamilton. He became known as Patch the Pirate. He wrote songs like Rejoice in the Lord, Lord, I Need You, Here Am I, Lord, Send Me. And so, yeah, I think it'd be okay for you to listen to music written, composed by him. How about this artist? I think you already know where I'm going. Here's a quote from a from a news article, and um, in fact, I believe this was the headline. Yeah, it was the headline. Four wives, seven children, 350 albums, and his own line of marijuana. I, I don't think you got that. Four wives, seven children, 350 albums, and his own line of marijuana. Yeah. While talking to the newspaper reporter, he said this, quote, I've bought a lot of pot, now I'm selling some back. He cited for progressive views on LGBTQ and drug legislation. In fact, he has a a book entitled, Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. That's awesome. That's terrible. It's ridiculous. And um, so I'm using awesome in the sarcastic sense. Um, That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Even just as a moral person, that's ridiculous. Let me ask you, based on what we know from Scripture, would you be okay to listen to? Absolutely, 100% not. But you know how many people listen to Willie Nelson? Country music icon, and by the way, the article I was quoting was, you can find it on The Guardian by Zoe Heller, uh, May 16th, 2015. And um, a legitimate article, and she was not trying to bash him. She was lifting him up. She wasn't saying this to try and make him look bad. She was lifting him up to make him look good. Um, No. Christians should not listen to Willie Nelson. It doesn't matter if he sings Amazing Grace softly and tenderly, just as I am without one plea. doesn't matter if he sings I Surrender All. I don't care what song he sings. It's wrong if he's singing it, unless he gets his life right. Um, But yeah, he makes the song wrong. Um, So, no. Christians should not listen to the music of Willie Nelson. Now, when we get to musical composition, the notes, the beat, the rhythm, the timing, the melody, all those things, it's a little bit more difficult isn't it? It's a little bit more difficult, but let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you in circumstances, all right? You drive up, you're at an intersection, you're parked at the stoplight, and you got that loud car beside you. You know the ones that cause your eardrums to be blown out, your car's vibrating, your hands are shaking on the steering wheel, not because your car is about to go out, but because the loud car beside you. Would you say that the musical composition typically, I don't know about you, typically I can't hear the words. All I can hear is that huge, just... That's a terrible rendition of that. But would you say that's right or wrong based on musical composition? I'd say it's wrong. It's not spiritual. It's definitely carnal. Um, How about this for musical composition? A hymn played on the piano that reminds you of how thankful you are for God's grace. Yeah, I'd say that's okay. How about the music they play on dance TV shows? Typically, there's not words. Typically, it's just music. Um, Is it invoking a fleshly response? Yes. Does that mean it's carnal? Yes. Does that mean if it's carnal, it cannot be spiritual? Yes. If it's not spiritual, should a Christian have anything to do with it? No, a Christian should stay away from it. So therefore, you easily just judge the music they play on dance TV shows. It's not right for a Christian to listen to. How about this one? How about this one? You get somebody who's playing hymns on their trumpet. We have an evangelist that comes through every now and then, and during the congregational music, he'll play on his trumpet with our hymns. 
And is there something wrong with that in the musical composition? Well, it depends on what he's playing, but if he's playing just the good old hymns, I'll fly away, would it be wrong? No, it'd be okay. It'd be okay. Depends on what he's playing, of course. How about the instrumental? You're walking into a store, you hear the intro to a song they haven't even begun singing yet on on the store radio, and you immediately begin to sing along, and the Holy Spirit says inside of you, wait a second, that's not right, you shouldn't be singing that. Would it be right or wrong? Well, do you think the Holy Spirit would be... Well, let me put it this way. Do you think Satan would look at you and say, hey, you shouldn't be singing that music, that's bad for you? No, Satan's not going to tell you that. So yeah, it's the Holy Spirit talking. Would that make the song wrong? Yeah, it would make the song wrong. And I want to finish with that because the reality is, you may go into it and you say, I don't know how to judge musical composition. The reality is that the Holy Spirit can and will help you to discern the right music from the wrong music if you'll allow him to. If you'll sit down and pray and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to open my heart up to you I want to judge my music. I want to have the right music in my life. Would you please help me? If there is some music, would you make me so uncomfortable with it? Maybe I've been comfortable with it for a long time, but would you please just make me uncomfortable? Stir something up in my heart that says, I shouldn't be listening to this, and Lord, if you do that, I promise to be faithful to obey you and your leading. You pray a prayer like that, Walk into your music collection. Be prepared for the Holy Spirit to either put his confirmation on some things or to say, hey, let's let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of this. The Holy Spirit can and will help you to discern the right music from the wrong music if you allow him to. The question is, are you willing to allow him to do that? Are you willing to allow him to do that? So, The standards we should judge our music by, some practical examples. I hope today will help you to be able to approach your music selection, your music collection, and be able to look at it with an open heart, saying, Lord, how would you want me to handle my music? Biblically, how should we handle our music? And so, is music morally neutral? No, it's either good or bad. How should we judge our music? Well, based on the biblical standards we talked about today. And then we judge every single component. We judge the lyrics, we judge the artist and author, and we judge the musical composition. Next week, I've got a very important topic we're going to be talking about. A very important topic, and it pertains to Christians everywhere. It's something I see sneaking in, destroying lives, destroying homes, because it is an influence of Satan, and he's doing his best to get it in churches everywhere. He's been kind of successful at it as well. So next week, we're going to talk about a very important aspect of music, The Truth of Music Part 3. You're not going to want to miss it. Make sure to tune back in next week. But until then, let me encourage you, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.